The show about science is now available on StoryButton, the device that makes it easy for kids to listen to podcasts without using a screen device. StoryButton is a one-stop shop for amazing kids' podcasts that will help your kids grow their brains. StoryButton connects to Wi-Fi so that all of our episodes are automatically available on StoryButton. Click the link below in the show notes to get free shipping or learn more at storybutton.com. Hi, my name's Zach. I'm 12 years old and I host We the Children, the podcast where kids talk climate change. Like a lot of kids my age, when I think about the future, I can't help but wonder what kind of world will be waiting for us. Will polar bears still roam the Arctic? Will we still be able to see colorful coral reefs or build snowmen in the winter? I'd like to think so. That's why I'm trying to learn as much as I can about climate change science, stories, and solutions from some of the world's leading experts and share what I learned with all of you. Together, we can decide what type of future we want for our planet. Subscribe to We the Children on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, and visit us at wethechildrenpodcast.com. Remember, we, the children, have the power to make a difference. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the show about science. This is your host, Nate. And today we will be talking about the composition of other planets. That's right. We're talking about space geology. Wait. What exactly is that? Well, let's find out. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. It's great to have you. So could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Uh, My name is Dr. Bethany Elman, and I'm a professor of planetary sciences at Caltech and research scientist at the NASA Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, California. Okay, so um, can I tell you a story? Sure, go for it. All right. I was actually looking for possible guests, and I saw you, and I was like, oh, this person is amazing. We should definitely try to get them. And, like, my dad usually looks for guests, but I was like, I think that I should look for some this time. And I was like, this one is amazing. (laughs) Well, I'm glad that I made your list. So, um, how'd you decide you wanted to become a scientist? Well, when I was growing up, I always liked to watch shows on PBS or National Geographic or something about just learning more about our world uh, and about space. So I loved, you know, learning about animals and learning about like jungle ecosystems and learning how to fight viruses and learning about, you know, how the space shuttle was built. And when I was six, I think I said I wanted to be an astrophysicist like Stephen Hawking just because I wanted to think about black holes. Um, so I've kind of always liked learning about nature and the natural world. And when I went to college, I discovered that I really liked earth and planetary sciences because I got to think about, you know, how planets work, what we can learn from landforms and how we trace the history 
through rocks, but uh, I got to meld it with my passion for space by being a planetary geologist and got to work on the rover mission Spirit and Opportunity really early in my career. And it was very fun. It's such a privilege to work on a mission where you go into work and open up your computer and you know, you're looking at an image from another planet that no one's ever seen before. Like no one has seen that data before and you're learning things new all the time. So I really love that process of learning new things and exploring. So what's it like to work at the NASA Jet Propulsion Laboratory? Well, it's great. I spend about a day or two a week there because my full-time job is as a professor teaching students at Caltech. But one of the most fun parts of my job at JPL is that as a scientist, I get to work with the engineers to think about what are the next missions that we want to send to other planets what kinds of instruments do we want to build and can we build to explore the solar system and collect key measurements? So it's really great to work at JPL because we're on the cutting edge of, you know, deciding what exploration of the future is going to look like. And so, like, when I think of that, I'm thinking of, like, colonizing other planets and making them, like, habitable, terraforming. Is that actually what you're doing? So other people uh, talk about colonization and terraforming, but what I do is we're still exploring the planets. So most of what I work on is how we send the next rover to Mars. Where does it go? Does it maybe go to explore the ice at the polar caps? Or do we send a lander to drill deep in the ice? Um, How do we land on Venus? and like get to the surface and make measurements there and how do we look for life on the icy moons Europa and Enceladus so those are the things that I work on is understanding um, how the planets formed whether or not they ever had habitats for life and whether they had life and in terms of terraforming it would be pretty hard to do. There's really no place like Earth in terms of uh, having everything we need to stay alive. So I'm more in explore mode than terraform mode. So um, you mentioned that you worked on the Spirit and Opportunity Mars rovers. But more recently, you've worked on Curiosity. Um... Could you tell us about your work on the Curiosity rover? Yeah, I'm lucky enough to be one of the scientists who helps to drive the rover um, and basically tell it where to go. I sometimes joke with people that I, I am not actually the rover driver. That's usually someone who's an electrical engineer or a computer scientist who sends the commands but I'm kind of like the rover backseat driver, meaning I'm the person who's like looking at the map, telling them where to go and which which rock to drill and what to drive to. So we're exploring um, Mars right now at a place called Gale Crater, uh, and we're climbing a mountain within Gale Crater, studying the rocks as we go. Yeah, that mountain in the middle of Gale Crater, that's very interesting. So, uh... What are we looking to learn from climbing the mountain, which I believe is called Mount Sharp? 
You got it. You did your homework. So, yeah, in Gale Crater, um, there's a large mountain called Mount Sharp, and it records a period early in Mars history where there was once a lot of water. So I, I'm guessing some of your listeners may know that right now Mars is cold and dry, and so the only water that's there is in the form of ice. But we know that in the past, because we can see the landforms um, and we can see the chemicals and minerals, that in the past, Mars was once a lot more like Earth. It had lakes, it had rivers, it had soils, it had snow, and it may have even had rain. So we're trying to understand two things. First, we're trying to understand why did Mars change? Like, what was it like in the past? that let it have water? And then why did it lose the ability to have water? And like, what does that tell us about how planets work? Why has Earth kept its water throughout all its history? Why Mars seems to have lost its water? So that's like a big question about how planets work. And Mars has key clues. The second thing that we're looking for as we go up Mount Sharp is um, for possible evidence of Martian life. Martians. Yeah, Martians. Like, probably not like Marvin the Martian, you know, the bunny character. Probably something more like, you know, little microbes that may have been swimming around in uh, Gale Crater Lake. But, you know, that's one of the questions. Yeah, if if Mars was once like Earth and Gale Crater once had a lake, which we know from looking at the rocks it did, we see little ripple marks from the lake preserved. And so the question is, well, could there have been life? You know, just like there's life in um, Earth lakes, could there have been life in Mars lakes? Is it there, right? Um, so those are the two big questions. Like what happened to Mars's climate and is there life or was there life? Why do we think that... Mars lost its water and Earth didn't. There's probably two reasons. The way that most people think about it, um, so, okay, if you think of the atmosphere, right, the atmospheres of of any planet, um, it's kind of, you know, where the planet meets space (laughs) is the atmosphere. And something that happens over time is that a planet loses its atmosphere to outer space. Um, Some of that is just, particles escape when they get sufficiently hot that they have enough velocity to leave the gravity field. That's very slow. The other is that the sun has a solar wind that can strip away particles. So we know this happens over time. And because Mars is smaller than Earth, it has a lower gravity. And so it can't hold as tightly to its atmosphere. So that's probably something that happened to the Mars atmosphere. Um, The thing I'm working on with my students right now is that there's one other big difference between Earth and Mars that people don't talk about too much, but we think it might be important. And that's that when ices or minerals that have water are formed on Mars by chemical reactions between rock and water, they form minerals that can have water in them, like clay minerals. Um, Mars has these in its crust, in its surface. And so the water in the crust may be important to the story because, so imagine like Mars's crust is sucking water in like a sponge. Something that Earth has is plate tectonics, which draws the crust down into the mantle and then the water comes back out through volcanoes. But Mars doesn't have that recycling. 
And so we're thinking that maybe the sponge sucked in the water and it never came back out again. So this is a big mystery. We're trying to figure it out. So what's your favorite planet? Saturn. Why? I like the rings. Yeah, it's a pretty beautiful planet, right? Yeah. One of my favorite planets, so I like Earth. Earth is actually my favorite planet. And then Mars is probably second. But then I think third is Enceladus. And Enceladus is one of the moons of Saturn. Mm. And it even helps create one of Saturn's rings, the E-ring, because Enceladus has an ocean underneath its crust. And it has some cracks at its south pole. And it's basically like spewing out water particles that help form one of Saturn's rings. So it's pretty cool. I like Saturn and its rings, too, because I like Enceladus. So is there anything else that you're working on? Well, let's see. Yes. (laughs) One of the fun parts about my job is that I am a planetary geologist. So I'm a geologist, meaning I study rocks and minerals. But the planetary part means that I get to think about a lot of planets. And so Mars is a special place because of these questions about climate and life. But I'm also working with a team to make new miniature instruments to look for water on the moon. (laughs) So did you know that there is water on the moon? There is? There is, yeah. Oh, I never knew that. Yeah, and the moon is mostly really, really, really dry because the moon gets very hot when the sun is out and it's in the vacuum of space. So it mostly doesn't keep its water, but it does have tiny little bits of water, even in the sunlit side. And it probably, we're almost a hundred percent sure that it has water ice in some of the craters at the poles. Um, So earth is tilted on its axis, but the moon rotates straight up and down. So you know how the rotating uh, planet or a rotating moon, that's what causes the day-night cycles to change. Yeah. But because the moon rotates absolutely straight up and down, and there are some craters near its poles, there are some portions of the moon's craters that never see sunlight, ever. (laughs) They're permanently in shadow, which means they're very, 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 very cold, like mm, about over 100 degrees below zero cold. And it looks like from some of the earlier data that we've gotten that they have water ice in them. And so I'm leading a mission that will take a satellite to the moon to try to map ice in these craters. And that's important because we want to measure this ice to understand, you know, scientifically how it got there. And then also if we send astronauts to the moon, we may want to use that water to help their habitats. Thank you for being on the show. Thanks for your good questions. It was a pleasure to speak to you. It was a pleasure to speak with you, too. Okay, there you have it, folks. The show about science is complete. Dad, you can shut the recording off. The show about science is now available on Story Button, the device that makes it easy for kids to listen to podcasts without using a screen device. Story Button is a one-stop shop for amazing kids' podcasts that will help your kids grow their brains. 
Story Button connects to Wi-Fi so that all of our episodes are automatically available on Story Button. Click the link below in the show notes to get free shipping or learn more at storybutton.com. Hi, my name's Zach. I'm 12 years old and I host We the Children, the podcast where kids talk climate change. Like a lot of kids my age, when I think about the future, I can't help but wonder what kind of world will be waiting for us. Will polar bears still roam the Arctic? Will we still be able to see colorful coral reefs or build snowmen in the winter? I'd like to think so. That's why I'm trying to learn as much as I can about climate change science, stories, and solutions from some of the world's leading experts and share what I learned with all of you. Together, we can decide what type of future we want for our planet. Subscribe to We The Children on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And visit us at wethechildrenpodcast.com. Remember, we, the children, have the power to make a difference.